0: I'm going to take you to a verse that is a powerful verse, and we're going to kind of use that as a launching pad this morning. It's found in Psalm 101, verse 2. It says, I will be careful to live a blameless life. I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. One of the things I want to share with you this morning is that in order for a home to be functional, there has to be intimacy and there has to be integrity. And you can't have one without the other, right? You can't have intimacy without integrity, and you can't have integrity without intimacy. And so this morning, I want you to do a little bit of a gut check. What I'd like for you to do is to think through six different factors that I want to share with you this morning that contribute to intimacy in relationships. And I want you to kind of feel like, how am I doing in this area of my own life? Because we've got to have intimacy in relationships, and maybe you grew up in an environment where there wasn't a lot of intimacy, where there was a lot of, of uh, dysfunction, but but it's never too late, like I say, to begin to cultivate these kinds of issues. So let me talk to you a little bit about intimacy. What intimacy is, it's this closeness, this personalness, this connectedness. It's getting beneath the surface in relationships. How do we do that? Before I do that, I want to share a statistic with you that was recently studied. It said that one in four teenagers never had a meaningful conversation with their father. One in four. It says 76% of the 1,200 teenagers that were polled want to have their parents spend more time with them. That's teenagers. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. See, intimacy is a real factor, and the first quality or factor that I want to share with you about intimacy is the matter of attention. Attention. You know, let me define attention for you this morning. It says, to take thought of another and convey appropriate care, interest, concern, and support to enter into another's world. My question to you is, can you enter into another person's world without spending time? Time is of the essence when it comes to giving attention. The problem is we are time warped and time poor in our culture today, right? There are so many things happening, so many distractions, and now with social media, it's even become worse to kind of divide this this need for many of our children, many of our families to have that kind of intimacy because there's so much going on, whether it's the television, social media, or all the activities that are going on in the home. But in order to give the kind of pretension that we need to do, we've got to figure out how to go into that other person's world. Uh, maybe it's a world of make-believe, where you have a child who has a great imagination and you need to give them attention in the area of their, uh, of their uh, make-believe and their stories and their toys. I, I'll never forget um, with our family, um, our kids always wanted me to tell stories before the bedtime. And so reading books kind of got to be old. And so I started a series of stories called Willie Whippersnapper. And uh, Willie Whippersnapper was a great hero, and he always carried a whip with him. And my kids could hardly ever go to bed without a Willie Whippersnapper story. But it was a way that I could enter into their world of make-believe because children have those kinds of issues in their life of having those make-believe stories that are kind of fun and enchanting in their lives. It might be entering in their world of play or a world of technology, a world of disappointment, or maybe some of their strange music or insecurities, but some way we need to figure out how to give greater attention to create that closeness and that connectedness. You know the average father spends 14 minutes per week one-on-one with their children, and 10 of those are in discipline? That's a statistic. An average father spends 14 minutes per week one-on-one, face-to-face, giving their full undivided attention to their children. That's a scary thought. And how do we develop intimacy unless we do enter into a relationship face-to-face? And what's sad in our culture today is the fact that because of all the social media, Facebook and and, and, uh, Instagram and all of those kinds of things, we're finding intimacy virtually. And we're not finding it face-to-face. And we've taken some of that personal touch and contact out of relationships. And it's really a sad thing. So attention is a critical component to intimacy. Are you giving each other the kind of attention they deserve? Here's the second factor. It's acceptance. Acceptance. Let me give you a definition here again. It's deliberate and ready reception with favorite, favorable positive response to receive willingly or to regard as good and proper. Let me kind of break that out a a little bit. Here's what acceptance says. Don't insist that everything about me be like you or anyone else. Accept me as significant, unique, and loved in spite of my behavior. Do not equate worth with performance. Did you get that? Let me read that again. Acceptance. Don't insist that everything about me be like you or anyone else. Did you grow up in a home where your parents sort of lived vicariously through you and your activities? They wanted you to be everything that they weren't or that they were. And so they, they, instead of feeling accepted for your own uniquenesses and who you are, they were trying to conform you into somebody that they wanted to be or that they never were. It set me as a significant, unique, and loved, in spite of my behavior, don't equate worth with performance. Did you grow up in a home where your worth was equated with your performance? For many of you, you can probably look back in your life and say, yeah, that's the way my home was. If I was going to be loved, if I was going to be encouraged, I had to really show up and do something to earn that kind of love and respect. But you know what this means when you really think about acceptance? It means that i got to concentrate on my on character qualities, not on performance. How do we do that? I remember one time when my son was going through some identity issues and and uh, comparing a lot to his older sister and thinking that you know she was getting uh, all the accolades she was the performer, she was the doer, she was the overachiever and I remember one time we decided we were going to write all of the character qualities that we saw in our son. And what we did is we taped that list. He slept in the bottom bunk of a bunk bed. Do you remember this? And then we taped it on the bottom of his bunk bed so when he would wake up in the morning, he could see those character qualities. So what are these character qualities that we're talking about? Well, things like honesty. Are they trustworthy, dedicated, generous, kind, considerate, faithful, forgiving, hardworking? See, there's there's a whole lot more here about accepting a child and accepting each other for their uniquenesses and who they are, not what they do. That's a critical component to develop intimacy in a family. Otherwise, you have everybody trying to run around trying to earn their love and respect. They need to be loved for who they are, just like Jesus loves us, amen, for who we are. Well, there's a third concept here. The third factor I see here is that we need to be able to bear each other's burdens. Scripture is really clear about that, but let me give you a definition for what I mean by that. It means to come alongside and gently help carry a problem or struggle to assist or to provide for. Let me give you some, th- uh, some notes on this. The first one is this. This does not mean that you carry it for them. Did you hear what I said? It means that I carry it with them. You see, we're, we're prone sometimes as parents to carry our kids' burdens for them. But burdens are designed by God to help us grow, right? We should consider it all joy when we encounter various trials because it helps us to endure and it proves our character and it increases our faith. So we want our kids to be have some burden. We just want to carry it with them. We want to let them know that we're going to carry that alongside with them so that they know they're not in this alone. And that creates and develops intimacy, it doesn't mean that we always need to rescue them. This means that our kids were going to be struggling from time to time, and sometimes they're going to have to inherit those natural consequences that go along with it. But some of us sometimes are pretty much rescuers. You know, we're pretty good enablers, and we don't want our kids to ever have any struggles or any trials or any frustrations. But yet sometimes that's just a part of growing up. And that's kind of carrying that burden with them. This also means that sometimes you're going to be overprotective and sometimes you might be a little untrusting. But it really is important for us to have a clear picture of what our child's going through and being able to pray with them and to carry that burden with them. Bear one another's burdens. We need to do that with each other, with our husband and our wives. We need to do that in any kind of relationship. We can't do it for them, but we can carry it with them. Do you understand that? Bear one another's burdens. Here's the fourth concept or factor, what I believe creates intimacy in a family, and that is affection. Maybe some of you grew up in a home where there were no hugs and kisses and all that kind of stuff, you know? Um, it, It just wasn't a part of your family upbringing. For some of you, it was all hugs and kisses and affection and a lot of touchy-feely kinds of things. But affection is an important part of intimacy because it's communicating love through touch and affirming words. It's not just touch. It's affirming words. Like, I love you. I'm proud of you. You are beautiful. You're special. Hugs and kisses. Those are things that our kids and our husband and our wife all need. They're built-in needs and they're God-given needs. And just because you had a vacancy in your own family life does not mean that you cannot somehow pull yourself up by your bootstraps and by the grace of God, offer that kind of affection and hugs and kisses to others. It's important. And I know a lot of you, if you grew up in that kind of environment, you say, well, that's kind of sissy. That's not macho. That's not, where I, that's not how I was brought up. Wait a minute. Time out. The need is there. Are you going to take that need? Um, it's, it's kind of fascinating because like some of you know, I used to work with police officers and I uh, do now with the uh, Yavapai County Sheriff's Department and officers kind of have that machismo kind of stuff going on. But it's really fascinating when things really get rough how one another will hug each other. And I, uh, once in a while, I'll just especially guys that don't like to be hugged, I try to hug them anyways. And uh, it kind of ticks them off, but I really think they appreciate it because we all need it. We all need it. So affection is a critical component. What's the affection like in your home? Here's the uh, fifth one, respect. Respect is this, to value and regard highly great worth to esteem. And what kind of things does that entail? Well, for example, I need to understand for sometimes the person in the family who needs to be alone. You know, we, we we have a tendency sometimes to always want to fix things or we want to make sure that everything's okay, but sometimes we just need to be alone. And there's that respect to need to be alone. Or I understand you need your privacy or I, resp- I respect your opinion or, or I, I listen and I want to validate your thoughts and feelings. I know one of the struggles that I had as a dad because I grew up in a home where my dad was not a very good listener. And so I swore that I would never not be a good listener if I was a dad wrong. You know, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. And even though I was not uh, uh, not going to be like my dad and be a better listener, I didn't do a good job, especially with my daughter. And I remember getting into lots of arguments with my teenage daughter, who was totally irrational. Right, folks? You know, teenage girls, they're just totally irrational. So we would get into argument, and my wife would come to me and say, honey, stop arguing with her. Just listen And even though her feelings may be completely irrational, it doesn't matter because those feelings are real to her. And if you don't validate those feelings, she'll never feel understood. You follow? So understanding is a part of respect, and it starts by being a good listener and validating each other's feelings. It's good in a marriage. It's good in a family relationship. Respecting one another's thoughts and feelings are so critical for intimacy. Otherwise, people shut down, and they won't trust you with their feelings. So you've got to give them that opportunity to do that and to validate that and not make them feel weird or stupid or irrational when they share those things. Finally, the sixth factor is that in order to have intimacy, there has to be vulnerability and transparency. Now that has to be taking place not only with our children or in the home, but you need to be transparent and vulnerable as a parent. That is so critical. You see, your kids are not going to reveal themselves unless you reveal yourself. When they hear from you and they listen to you and they hear sometimes what you're struggling with or what you had to deal with when you were a child, it creates this bond of intimacy and transparency. And when there's transparency and vulnerability, a greater sense of trust and openness begins to breathe through it. You see, your kids are never going to admit they're wrong if you never admit you're wrong. Have you notice that? Uh, your kids will never say they're sorry if you never say you're sorry. Your kids will never admit that they're afraid if if you are never afraid, or you won't admit that you're afraid, or you're scared, or you have some issues. So transparency and vulnerability are critical components to intimacy in any relationship, right? And unless we're willing to do that and to humble ourselves at times, it's not that we hang out our dirty laundry in front of our kids or through other people, but it's a way that we are at least vulnerable enough so they get a glimpse of who we are on the inside. And when we understand what's on the inside, now we're developing a sense of intimacy in the home. What intimacy problems exist in your home if you analyze those six factors? What's missing? What's missing? What needs to take place? And I'm hoping that you'll kind of walk away from here this morning, kind of doing a little bit of an analysis and saying, you know what, do we really have the kind of intimacy that we're talking about here this morning in our home? And what can I do to change to make that happen? And if you're a grandparent this morning, it's never too late. Do you ever stop being a dad or a mom? Of course not. And you've got adult children that need still maybe your intimacy in order to become healthier and whole as an individual. So now we've talked about intimacy this morning. Intimacy is a critical component, but we can have intimacy, and if we don't have any integrity, we're still dysfunctional, right? So let's look at the integrity side of the coin this morning and walk through that. See, integrity means to be congruent, there's no duplicity, and there's complete honesty. And what's really interesting, we know from studies, is that our children look at their parents as sort of their God-shaped image. And so how dad goes and how mom goes is often the way they relate to the heavenly father, right? And so if there's no integrity from dad and mom, they're going to think that God doesn't have a lot of integrity either. So integrity is a critical component, and it starts, number one, by being blameless. What do I mean by that? Again, I go back to Psalm 101, verse 2. I will be careful to live a blameless life. When will you come to my aid? I will lead a life of integrity in my home. What this means is that I need to lead a life of being above reproach for my kids. What this means is is that we're not talking about the perfects, okay, here? That's not what we're talking about. But what it does say is that what I've done in my own life as a parent is that I've always been able to have this, quote, self-examination. Where I look into my life, it's the same concept that we see in scripture when it talks about elders being above reproach. We're not talking about being perfect, but it's really understanding myself well enough so I know my strengths and my weaknesses. And when I have issues in my life, I'm working on them and I'm making sure that my kids know that I'm working on those areas in my life so that I have complete integrity in front of them. Again, it's not being perfect, but it's saying I have strengths and I have weaknesses and I'm working on them and I want to demonstrate that I'm working on them to you. So that your kids are seeing a role model of somebody who's trying to lead a blameless life. Somebody who's trying to be above reproach. Somebody that can say, do as I do, not just as I say. So blamelessness is not perfection. Blamelessness is just saying, look, I understand my issues. I have a self-awareness and I want to do better at it. I want to work harder on it. And so I do that. And if you're not blameless, you're saying, I don't care what the kids think. I don't care what anybody thinks. This is who I am, and I'm not going to change. I'm not going to work on this. Secondly, it's really critical in order to have integrity in the home is to not provoke your children to anger. Well, how do we do that? Well, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Now a word to you, fathers, don't make your children angry by the way you treat them. Colossians 3.21 says, fathers, don't aggravate your children. If you do, they will become discouraged and quit trying. I like that translation. Well, what are the ways that we can make our children angry or aggravated or discouraged? Now, maybe you've been through this in your own life as a child when you think back, but perhaps you're doing the same thing to your kids, and one of them is abandonment, not being there or being available. That can be so discouraging to our kids. One of the things that, uh, as I was doing some research on this message, I was looking last night that um, I went online and I found this study that was done by Cornell University and it talks about the separation of children and adults. And it says uh, they discovered that there's an increasing separation between children and youth from the world of adults. It's kind of interesting. And the reason why they say this is because one of the reasons is father's vocational choices, which remove them from the home for lengthy periods of time. So one of the factors is, is that some dads have chosen professions where they're gone a lot. They're not available. They're traveling a lot. And that's part of this matter of kids feeling abandoned. I mean, actually, I grew up in a home and I was a church brat. I don't know about you, but I was either a church brat or a PTA brat. And what I mean by that, my dad was a school administrator. And so he had meetings, PTA meetings, board meetings, and all kinds of meetings. And then when he wasn't doing that, he was had deacon meetings or he had Sunday school meetings or we were going to church, and I never felt like I really had my dad's undivided attention. And so even though he didn't travel, but there was this disconnect between dad and me because of that factor, because of his busyness and the schedule. Here's the second thing. There's an increased number of working mothers. So if you've got a working mom and a working dad and they're gone and they, they have a second life, if you will, out there in the workplace, then your kids have a tendency to withdraw. And of course, we've got video games now and all those kinds of things to entertain kids. And so we're seeing this increased separation and, and there's these abandonment kinds of issues that are starting to take place in the home. A rapid increase in single-parent families and the divorce rate, which goes without saying. A steady decline in extended family. And one of the interesting things is is because we are so mobile in our culture, a lot of our extended families are all over the universe, all over the country. And so we don't have that, that cohesiveness of extended family to kind of be there, to kind of pick up the slack, if you follow. And then we're seeing that there's a replacement of adults by their peer group. I mean, social media has captured the imaginations and relationships of our kids. And consequently, the adults are kind of left out in the cold because they're not connected into the social media stream like the kids are. And so there's this this uh, this separation, this, this sense of abandonment and segregation from adults. And it's kind of a sad, sad commentary when you think about it. Here's the second thought. Unfulfilled promises will kill our kids. And what's really fascinating is that kids, when they hear you say something, isn't it funny how they hold you to it, you know? And uh, I remember at times where we'd say, you know, oh, well, you know, we're going to go here after church for lunch, and then plans change. And the kids say, you promised, you know, you promised. and, and, And we're not doing that. And so they don't understand how circumstances change, and so they think you're a liar, right? Um, these are, these are important things. So we need to be careful about making promises that we can't follow through on. That can really aggravate a child. Maybe you've been there. I was thinking of a, of a adult guy that I was counseling with a while back and how he had a dad that was never available and his dad would say, okay, I'm gonna come by when his mom and dad were divorced. I'm gonna come by and pick you up and we're gonna go to the game together. And he told me story after story where he sat on a street corner waiting for his dad to show up, and he never showed up. Promises, unfulfilled promises will discourage a child, and they'll quit trying. Third, abusive words and critical comments. You know, we're so flippant sometimes with what we say. And so it's really critical. I mean... Verbal abuse can be rampant in a home, and we don't even know it. We can say things that that fly off the handle when we're upset or angry, and that can really destroy a child. You know, they say sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Hogwash. Some of you probably grew up maybe with a nickname or something that was said to you that you'll never forget. You're stupid, or you're never going to amount to anything. Or why can't you be like so-and-so? And so those kinds of things have stuck with you. And that can be very aggravating and discouraging to a child. Loving them based upon performance can really kill a child. I know because my dad was a school administrator, if I didn't get A's and B's, you know, you know you're not trying hard enough. You're, you've got a problem here. Or poor marriage relationship. Do you realize that your marriage is one of the best contributing factors to a child's security and love? And what can really hurt a child, in fact, they've done polls over and over again of children. One of their greatest fears today in the 21st century is that mom and dad are going to get a divorce. And so, by our arguing in front of them, screaming and yelling and having conflict all the time, and having our children live in that environment, do you think that's discouraging? Do you think that just instills all kinds of fear into their relationship with their parents? Of course, it does, it lacks integrity. The old do as I say and not as I do hypocrisy or the fact that we're not listening. There's all different ways that we can really discourage and aggravate our children. Thirdly, when it comes to integrity, we need to have a mentality of do as I do. Now, that's hard. Let me read a, a particular scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. It says, for even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, Paul says this, you have only one spiritual father. For I became, became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. So I ask you to follow my example and do as I do. What? Apostle Paul wrote that as a spiritual dad? The gall. I mean, how could he even say that? Well, here's how he could say that, and I want to close with this this morning. He could say that for four reasons. And I hope that you can say these things as well when it comes to your own family life. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 through 21. The first one is this. Now, this is our boast. Our conscience, Paul says, testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world And especially in our relationships with you, in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. What he's saying here is this. He says, our conscience testifies. It's a judicial term here. And what he's saying is that I have gone before God and cross-examined my conscience. I have gone as deep as I can go between me and God, and I've said, God, search me, O God, and know my heart, and see if there's any wicked way in me. There was a complete and total transparency and humility before God, as Paul writes this. And if we can maintain that kind of conscious cross-examination... We can stay on top of our game and realize that we can be blameless because when God speaks to us, we can either repent or deal with these issues. And so we need to cross-examine our conscience. That's number one. If we can say, do as I do, wouldn't that be a great role model to your kids to say, you know what I do, son? You know what I do, daughter? Every day I go before the Lord and I say, God, if there's anything in my heart or mind that needs to change, I really want to be available because I don't want to have anything that's duplicity within in my life. Secondly, this is what he says. He said, our conscience testifies we have conducted ourselves where? In the world and especially in our relationships with you. So what he's saying here is this. I have been consistent whether I'm at home with you in the church or whether I'm out in the world. There's no, again, duplicity. In other words, there's a consistency how you act in the workplace as much as you are in the home. And if you can be that way, you're really creating an environment of do as I do. So, you know, the workplace can be a very dangerous place. And maybe some of you kind of lived in that environment where you say when you went to work, you were kind of this ruthless businessman and you were kind of doing things the business way and all that kind of stuff. And then when you're home, you were a different person. No, 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 no. What Paul is saying here, I've learned to figure out that I'm going to be the same person, whether it's out there or in the church or wherever it is. That's do as I do. Here's the third concept. Verse 13. He says, For we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand, and I hope that as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of our Lord Jesus. What he's saying here is this. I speak very plainly to you, Church. And he's saying, what I'm saying to you is there is nothing hidden between the lines in my life. There is no hidden agenda. I'm going to shoot straight with you. He says, for we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. You see, there was a lot of Gnosticism in that day and there was a lot of confusion and there were a lot of hidden agendas and a lot of manipulation. And Paul was saying, listen, we shoot straight with you guys. We're not playing any games. There's no hidden agendas. There's clear direction. They clearly understood where Paul was coming from. And it's so important, you know, sometimes, you know, we get moody in our lives. You know what I mean? And, 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 our, and our kids and, and our wives and our husbands, sometimes we don't know where you're coming from because you're in this mood one day and this mood another day and you've got this going on another day and this kind of another day. And what I see here is Paul saying, look, what you see is what you get. It's straight up. And then finally, in verses 17 through 22, it's really important here. He says, when I plan this, did I do it lightly or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes He's basically saying this, when I say something, I mean it. I have this conviction from God. My yes is yes and my no is no. You see, the point is what Paul is saying here is that I have figured out that I cannot be wishy-washy. I cannot say yes one time and no another time. I've got to be consistent. Now, are these unattainable? I don't think so. These four factors, this cross-examined conscience, this consistent conduct, this clear direction, and this conviction from God that Paul talks about that keeps his yes, yes, and his no, no, that's not impossible for us to achieve. By God's grace, we can be able to say, hopefully, to our family, to those people who we influence, do as I do, not just as I say. Now, that's a tall order. But in reality, if there's going to be integrity in the home, that has to be present. There has to be that modeled. And so you can see on the two sides of this coin this morning that there has to be intimacy. But without intimacy, there can't be integrity. And without integrity, there can't be intimacy, right? Because if you have intimacy and integrity, you have trust and you have respect, and you have honesty, and you have vulnerability, and you have transparency, and that's healthy, amen? That's where God wants us to be. That takes the dis out of dysfunctional family. We're not talking about perfection like we saw on the screen. We're talking about reality. This is life. And I want to encourage you to think about in your own home, perhaps in your past as a family member, and the kind of baggage that you perhaps brought into your family, into your leadership. And to do that analysis and say, God, you know, and it's never too late to, to apologize or to reconnect or somehow establish new intimacy and new opportunities with family members and relationships. It's never too late, I don't believe, because God's grace is always sufficient. Amen? There's always that opportunity. But those of you that are raising kids right now, I hope these things have been encouraging to you to kind of think through, how are we doing? Sit down with your husband, sit down with your wife and say, you know, how are we doing? Do we have intimacy and integrity in our home? If we do, we're, we're well on our way to taking the diss out of dysfunctional family. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you this morning for the opportunity you've given me to share these principles God, I know it's a tall order, and it seems like uh, some of these things are really tough, and and especially when those things were not experienced as we were growing up. But God, I know that um, each one of us want our families to be healthier. We want our marriages to be healthier. We want our kids to grow up in an environment where they really understand the matter of integrity and intimacy in their own lives. God we know that it all starts with intimacy and integrity with you. And if we can't be honest with you and we can't get to know you, then we have a really hard time even coming close to modeling some of these principles that we've talked about. And so God, help us to to reconnect with you, reconnect with our spouse if we're married here this morning, to be able to, to really go to you before the Lord and before our kids and make ourselves vulnerable and, and we can give them the kind of acceptance and love that they need. Lord, it's the Christian home that we hope is the one that's the model in our culture today. So help us to be able to be set apart and to be different, uniquely different, because you're in the center and focus of it. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.